0: Let me tell you the problem with a nightmare. I want to tell you about the murder of Judy McFarlane. A nightmare is like a dream filled with sensations. She was one of many who fell victim to a town of horror, but maybe the only one to have been forgotten. But the sensations are hopelessness and despair and no escape an impossible mystery with inconceivable twists and turns and an unusual number of possible suspects with motive and opportunity, Judy's cold case is much more than a whodunit. It's been 32 years since she was killed and we are no closer to knowing what happened to her or how she ended up behind a locked gate with only one unused key. We don't even know if her killer is still out there, hiding in plain sight. I'm trying to figure out why so much time has passed. Is it because her case was unsolvable? Or because it was buried? That's what's terrifying about a nightmare! You can't wake up! I'm Haley Holloway, and this is Shallow Graves. ask you like one or two questions about Judy? Yeah, sure. I first started working cold cases with detective Kevin Allen when I was a TV news reporter in Gainesville, Florida. We're 10 years in now, and of all of the cases we've covered together, we agreed that this is the biggest puzzle of them all. So this story is wild. This is maybe one of the craziest cold cases I've heard of in Gainesville, maybe anywhere else. It's just nuts
1: i still think the judy mcfarland case is the greatest mystery i've read at the alachua county sheriff's office and the only way i found out about it is one day one of judy's sisters called me cold and she said can you tell me what happened to my sister's case and she gave me her sister's name and i told her that's not on my list
0: judy mcfarland disappeared in 1992 She was found five months later in a locked retention pond controlled by the Florida Department of Transportation. Shortly after she was found, law enforcement stopped working her case. It was never added to the cold case list at the Alachua County Sheriff's Office, which meant her case was never reopened. Not only was Judy not on the cold case list, you noted that there were no records of a death investigation after she was found.
1: And that makes absolutely no sense. To put all the effort that we put into Judy's investigation when she was a missing person, but then when her body was discovered, that we didn't go full speed into the death investigation just makes no sense.
0: How does that happen? You got me. I get the sense that you weren't necessarily thrilled with the classification from law enforcement. Yeah and that, you know, Judy wasn't even on the cold case list.
2: Right. They didn't care. She wasn't important.
0: This is Judy's older sister, Nancy Brewer.
2: They weren't worried about her. They were worried about the Gainesville Five and all the murders that had happened, you know, the Sessions girl. They never did find her body. God bless her parents. Mm -hmm. I feel so bad for them. And then there was another lady who died right around the same time as Judy. I'm trying, I can't remember Elizabeth Foster. Yes, the foster girl, yes.
0: Yeah. And
2: and that was really bad.
0: If the names Nancy is referencing ring a bell, it might be because I covered this unusually dark and dangerous chapter in Gainesville, Florida for the first season of this podcast. In this four-year chunk of time, Gainesville had nine missing or murdered college students. Two of them just disappeared from the streets of Gainesville. The first, Tiffany Sessions, is still missing, and the second, Elizabeth Foster, was eventually found beaten and buried in a shallow grave. In the most notable case from this time period, five additional co-eds were stabbed to death and mutilated by a serial killer over a weekend. And after that, two more would be found strangled to death in their apartment. The attacks on these college students kept Gainesville in the headlines for years, but missing from nearly all of them was Judy's case. I just kind of wonder how that happened and how there was such a difference between these cases from that perspective.
1: I cannot explain that.
0: It just really seems like no one cared about Judy.
1: That could be a fair assessment, and I can't explain it.
0: As soon as Detective Allen heard from Judy's sister, he pulled together the few files he could find on her at the Alachua County Sheriff's Office and immediately reopened her case. Judy was finally added to the cold case list at the sheriff's office, and once a detective told me about her, I was all in. I can't get over her story, that it happened during these insane years in Gainesville, and yet there wasn't a death investigation. Detective Allen and I agree that it's time to figure out what happened to Judy McFarlane. But to do that, we have to go back about 30 years, way before either of us ever lived in Gainesville. When this 30-year-old single mom of three little boys, aged four, five, and seven, and a baby girl who had just turned one, disappeared after her Bible study. At that time, Judy and her husband, Jim, were separated. He'd actually been living in Canada for several months, and Judy and the kids were living at Judy's mom's house, just northwest of the University of Florida. And that's where a death investigation probably should have started. In the middle of the night on December 29th, 1991, about two weeks before Judy would disappear, when that house burned to the ground.
3: And that was, I think, wee hours in the morning of the 20th, Eight, it was two, three days after Christmas, if I'm not mistaken,
0: when that fire was. That's Mary Swain, Judy's cousin. Their moms were close sisters, and Mary and Judy were about the same age. Yeah. Let me and ask I'm, you, on the house fire, what happened? Was it an accident? I mean, obviously a lot of...
3: What, that's what they said. But because mm-hmm. I understand, it was an electrical, it, it was, you know, like an electrical thing. But that's, that's really, to me, weird.
2: My mom and dad lived in a tri-level home. Had six bedrooms, four baths. It was huge.
0: Judy's sister Nancy wasn't living in Gainesville at the time, but her mom, both of her sisters, and all of her nieces and nephews were inside that house sleeping when the fire started. And everyone there said Judy was the one who saved them all.
2: When the house caught on fire she was actually awake and reading her bible in the middle of the night like two or three in the morning started smelling smoke and realized the house was on fire otherwise they might have all died in that fire
0: between the family and some boarders who were renting rooms there somewhere around a dozen people were able to escape that night as this three-story house burned down around them the cause never determined
2: I never understood it. I didn't know the house caught on fire. That was all I was told. She was awake. She was reading her Bible. And she realized the house was on fire. And she started screaming. And then everybody started getting out. And it pretty much burnt to the ground. They lost everything. I mean, sure. even all their Christmas presents. You know, there was nothing. So Red Cross stepped in. They put them in a hotel for a few days. And bought them clothes. And then they had to find them a place to live.
0: The family was split up from here and Judy and her kids ended up on the northeast side of Gainesville in a little community of trailer apartments called Meadowcrest.
2: And Judy didn't really have a lot of money. That's why she was living with mom. So she rented a trailer. It was not in the best area, but it was decent and she had a place for the kids.
0: Nancy was only a couple of weeks from having a baby, so she had to stay in Jacksonville while all of this happened. But the girl's cousin, Mary, and her mom headed down to Gainesville to help the family after the fire. Mary told me they visited Judy's mom and younger sister, and then they headed to Judy's new place.
3: Over there on 39th. And on that same side of the street, if you went north, there's a railroad track. Probably, I don't know, four or five blocks is a church that she started going to. And then if you keep that
0: nugget her, in the back of your mind for now, this church down the street that Judy had started going to, I think it's pretty important and we're gonna get to it later. But for now, I'll just tell you that according to Judy's family, the fact that Judy was going to this church was fairly new. And the church itself to them seemed a little bit strange. Okay, back to Judy's place.
3: She seemed to be aggravated, irritated. She was frustrated because she had been trying to get a hold of her estranged husband in Canada. And all she got was the mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law said, you know, that he's out of the country on a trip. And that she had no way of getting a hold of him. And she didn't know when he was coming back. And she was trying to get a hold of him for him to, you know, give her some financial assistance because they lost everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything. And the kids were all over the place you know, running through
0: the house or what have
3: you. She was having to hold the kids and stand at pay phones, you know what I'm saying? And to walk to the minute market.
0: And- what happened next would end up being a pretty big piece of the investigation, both back in 1992 and today. To give Judy a break and some time to put the pieces back together post-fire, Mary offered to take Judy's four kids off her hands for a bit.
3: I told her, I said, I'm going to spend the night in Gainesville with Granny and with Mom, and then I'll come back by the next morning. And I said, if it would help you, I'll take the kids with me to Perry for a week or two so you can run your errands and whatever you got to do. And I said, if that would help you, I'll take the kids for a couple of weeks. And she said, that would be great. And that
0: was your idea.
3: That was my idea. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're by yourself. You've got four youngins. You've just been through trauma. You have nothing. You don't have money. You know what I'm saying? Totally. I figured it would give her a break.
0: Mary told me she asked Judy to write down all the important details for each of the kids and a note authorizing Mary to be able to take them to the doctor or something like that in an emergency.
3: And she said, sure. So she wrote the children's four names and their date of birth. I think she wrote the socials on there, whatever. I grabbed up two changes of clothes for each one, because like I said, they didn't have much, and I brought them to Perry
0: with me. It wasn't long after Mary took the kids, about a week, when she got a call from the police, and suddenly taking Judy's kids for a couple of weeks seemed to be something other than a fever for her cousin.
3: My husband come out running and he said, hey, I don't know who it is. I don't know what's going on, but you got several messages from an investigator in Gainesville, something to do with Judy and why you got the kids, and I don't know what. And I'm like, oh, crap. What did they get into now? Another search, another missing person. 30-year-old Judy McFarlane was last seen at her Gainesville church. She hasn't been
0: seen since. Judy McFarlane was reported missing on January sixteenth, 1992. And once they realized it was a mother of four they were looking for, law enforcement had started looking for her kids, too. And that's how they tracked down Mary, who was starting to think she'd been duped. So they call, they're they're asking about the kids, but you find out your cousin, Judy, is missing.
3: Yeah, that she was reported missing.
0: And what went through your head? That she had split. I'm
3: thinking, holy baloney, you know, here I was trying to do her a favor. So anyway, I called and first they questioned me, you know, why did you get the kids? When did you get the kids? Did she give you permission to have the kids? Blah, 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 blah.
0: In the very beginning, everyone kind of figured Judy was temporarily gone, or at least she'd left under her own free will. After all, she'd had cousin Mary take her kiddos the week before, and so even Judy's sister assumed there was an innocent explanation. Were you worried or did you think it was just temporary? Well, at first I
2: wasn't worried, like Marianne taking the kids off. Maybe she just, you know, met a guy who wanted to relieve some tension or, you know, she's
0: a single woman. But as the hours started to turn into days, things started to change for Nancy.
2: After two days, no. I kept saying, no, there's no way something's happened to her because she would not leave her children. She loved them kids.
0: You immediately, because of that, knew something was wrong.
2: Yeah. As soon as I knew that she was gone for 48 hours and she had not come back or call the kids or call my cousin Mary Ann, yeah, I knew something was wrong.
0: Oh, my God. Well, what did you think? What were your first guesses as to what might have happened?
2: I didn't really know. I mean, I like I said, I thought maybe she met a guy and just went off for a couple days because my cousin had the kids. That's all I could think of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just had a kid. I was flowing with all kinds of emotions anyway. But when 48 hours come, uh-uh, I knew. I yeah. said, there's something wrong, something, happened." There's no way she would not have called my cousin to talk to him or checked in or went and got, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's no way.
0: The sheriff's office had latched on to some pieces of the early investigation, namely that Judy had given her kids to Mary to say there was reason to believe Judy had just walked away. She'd wanted to leave, and she'd made sure her kids were taken care of first. But once Judy's family found out that her wallet and keys had been left behind in her trailer, there was no question in their minds that something was up. And so there started to be some pretty public conflict with Judy's friends and family calling out the sheriff's office for not doing as much as they thought should be done. And the sheriff's office telling the public that Judy probably just left and had maybe even planned to do so ahead of time. Here's an example from a 1992 Gainesville Sun article where Lise Fisher, a correspondent for The Sun, wrote, quote, Family and friends all said they believed something bad had happened to her. They complained publicly that the Alachua County Sheriff's Office, which had organized massive searches involving hundreds of volunteers when Tiffany Sessions and Beth Foster vanished, were virtually ignoring McFarland's case. Fisher went on to write that investigators had countered the family by saying the circumstances suggested Judy may have left on her own and, quote, they said they did more work in McFarland's case than in most missing persons cases.
3: But then, like I said, later I find out the car is there, her purse is there, you know, and it's like, okay, that don't sound like she's, to me, it don't sound like she split. That you know. changed it. Yeah, that, that right there flicks it. Because I mean any of us that you leave home or, or you're gonna take off somewhere, first thing you take is your wallet as your ID, any monies, you know, yeah. and you're in your vehicle. Because you only had that one vehicle there. So the last thing they they said, you know, and I got bits and pieces, you know, from the
0: old. before we get too far past Judy's disappearance, I think we should pause here to really dig into the detectives timeline of her last days. I want to start on Monday, January 13th, 1992, because investigators determined that was the last day anyone had said they'd seen Judy. So, Monday morning, Judy and her younger sister, Jeanette, had gone to a bank with a guy named James Arnett. James was actually one of the boarders at Judy's mom's house, and he credited Judy with getting him out the night of the fire. Anyway, Judy didn't have a bank, and so James had offered to take Judy and Jeanette to his bank up in Waldo, the next town over, to cash a check. At the bank, Judy cashed the check for $400, gave 60 to her sister, and kept the rest. Then, the sisters drove back to Gainesville, and James said that was the last time he ever saw Judy. So detectives moved on to the next part of Judy's timeline, and figured out Judy usually went to a Monday night Bible study at a church right down the street from her new post fireplace. And so they started asking questions around there. That's when they found out the Bible study teacher and another student from the class might have been the last ones to have seen Judy alive.
1: And then I'm reading the report, and I said, well, geez, you know, the last person to see her alive was basically you and yeah. And, you know, she was going to the church, the Pentecostal church. So huh. I, that's that's why I asked you to come in was the bottom line. And usually what you do is, you know, you get to know the victim, and you find out what her habits were, and you find out, you know, the last person to see her alive. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about. Yeah, I um, uh,
4: to, to be honest with you, you know, I'm old. My memory's failing.
0: This is an interview between that other Bible study student, Charles, and Detective Kevin Allen.
4: It was in my early twenties back there in that period. Too. But yeah, I, you know, I've been thinking about it since I talked to you the other day. And uh, I, honestly, there's not a whole lot that I remember about it. You know, and I mean, like you said, we had Bible studies on on Monday
0: night. Charles was interviewed by detectives both in 92, right after Judy disappeared, and again in 2016, when Detective Allen reopened her case. And his story has generally stayed the same.
1: Uh, Why don't you tell me what you remember about that Bible study that night, the night that uh, she disappeared? I don't even remember what that.
0: In 92, Charles had reported that after class was over, he and the Bible study teacher were leaving together when they saw Judy outside, maybe dancing or just being really joyful in the parking lot as it started to rain.
4: Well, number one, it was odd for her to be in the rain, but it was almost like she was dancing out of, like, not really happiness, but like what somebody would, how they would dance if they were celebrating freedom or something like that, you know? It was just that type of carefree, yeah. I don't remember her picking flowers, but maybe she was. You remember asking her if she wanted a ride? I do think we did ask her if she wanted a ride that night. And I I remember, I I don't remember her exact words, but something about it's not that far or something like that. Yeah, she only lived a couple blocks. Yeah. It really
1: wasn't far. Yeah. I think it was like uh,
4: even before the railroad tracks.
0: So the Bible study teacher and Charles had asked Judy if she wanted to ride home because of the rain, and Judy had said no because her new place, since the fire, was just down the street. And Charles and the teacher both told police that when Judy said no, they drove off and left her. No one else was reported to have seen her after that.
4: I don't remember I don't remember hearing anything. Maybe I read something about it in the paper, or maybe, you know, passing someone at church or something that mentioned it. But... We had a Bible study on Monday night, and the next Monday night, she wasn't there.
0: This story, that Judy was last seen alive by these two men at her church, became the gospel of Judy's last day. But I don't think it's necessarily accurate. I've really been digging on this, and I think that one, there might have been someone else who saw Judy later that night, and two, someone seems to have, at best, forgotten, or at worst, lied to detectives about what really happened after Bible study that night. And we're gonna get there, but for now I wanna stick to the 1992 timeline and what was said at that time. And that was that Judy McFarlane was last seen leaving her Bible study Monday night, January 13th. It then skips to Wednesday around noon, two days after the Bible study, when Judy's friend, James Arnett, said he stopped by Judy's trailer. He's the guy with the bank account and he told investigators at the time that he was Judy's closest friend. Here he is talking with Detective Kevin Allen back in 2016.
1: I also put on my notes, um, and this is from the police report, that you drove Judy to cash a check for $400 on January the 13th, 1992. We already discussed that. Well, she drove the... Right, okay.
2: Yeah, actually, yeah, we were all there. And that's the last time you saw her alive? That was the last time I saw her alive. Okay.
1: All right, and in the police report, it says um, when you were interviewed by the police... You uh, went to Judy's house.
0: Um, in 92, James told the sheriff's office that he'd knocked on Judy's door that Wednesday and no one answered. But Judy's van had been out front and a security guard who lived in the complex had told James he thought he'd seen Judy at the trailer that day initially james told detectives he hadn't wanted to walk in on judy so he just got some stuff out of judy's van himself later though he admitted to having opened the front door to see if judy was in the front room he said she wasn't but that the light was on and the curtains were drawn then he said he left james said he went back to the trailer to check on her again that night and that same light was on but still no judy
1: and on wednesday in the police report it says you went there twice that day you went uh, once there around noontime and you went later that day because you were worried about her. And you went inside the apartment both times but you didn't see her. Right. Does that refresh your
2: memory? That's probably what happened. Like I say. You, know, okay. you think
1: that's, that's probably, possible you didn't go with Jeanette, you went by yourself?
2: No. You think you went I'm with sure Jeanette? I'm I remember going with Jeanette because okay. uh, me and her was the ones talking about wanting the police to come over and check. Okay.
0: Judy's younger sister, Jeanette, ended up calling the police to report her sister as a missing person the next day. When detectives got to Judy's place, they found a pretty messy home, but it didn't seem like there'd been a robbery. Probably more like a single woman and four small children had been relocated there after their whole house burned down. The door was unlocked, the light in the front room was still on, and Judy's Bible was open on her reading chair. And read into this what you will, but for whatever reason, one of the detectives on scene noticed that open Bible and then decided to take note of just one specific verse from the open pages. Ephesians 5.13. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light.
1: Okay. Were you there when the police came out to yep. initiate police report?
0: Uh, I believe I believe it was. Okay. All
2: right. That's when the brown spot came up.
1: Oh yeah, and I said it was red, but it was more brown mm-hmm. on the wall?
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Both Jim and detectives notice a small red or brown spot on the wall next to the chair with the Bible. But I think the most unsettling part of what they found was the home as a whole. Judy's purse was there, her van was out front, the lights were on, the door was unlocked, her Bible was open on her reading chair. It's like she just walked outside and had planned to come right back in. And yet, she was still nowhere to be found. So, you guys report her missing, and then what happens?
2: The flyers were made up for being missing, and the police decided they were going to do a, a grid search near her home. Okay. I still have a copy of the letter we put out with her picture when she disappeared oh. that we, the family posted everywhere.
0: You guys did that
2: okay because she was missing yeah we did that
0: nancy hadn't seen her sister judy since nancy's baby shower that past november she told me she gave birth to that baby just six days after judy disappeared and that kept her home and out of the searches for her younger sister i can't imagine the stress you must have been in about to give birth and then to find out your sister is missing
2: Yes. So I felt really guilty because I couldn't go and be involved in the search for when the police originally, when she was reported missing, they did a search. But my sister Jeanette called me and my mom and she said, they're all doing it. Don't worry. It's Mm -hmm. being taken care of. The police are out there. But then nobody found her.
0: So after the grid search, did things keep going? Did the police keep working on it?
2: not really, after the beginning, after the first, I don't know, maybe month, and there was nothing.
0: But just as the case was starting to cool off and Judy's name faded from the news stories, another one took her place, and Gainesville got a little darker.
4: Alachua County Sheriff's officials called reporters together just after nine o'clock. Roughly eight hours earlier, a state officer searching these woods for any sign of the missing coed.
0: Two months after Judy disappeared and just 10 minutes south of Judy's trailer, another young Gainesville woman had been reported missing. This was when 21-year-old Elizabeth Foster was supposed to be reading at a park, but never came home. That meant Judy, Tiffany Sessions, and now Beth Foster were all missing at the same time, They'd each disappeared from the streets of Gainesville, leaving everything behind with no explanation for any of it. And local law enforcement insisted each case was isolated. No connection between any of them, despite plenty of gossip suggesting otherwise. Here's a story from a reporter named Derek Hayward.
2: Police quickly dismiss any connection with the five students
1: murdered here in 1990, or the two students murdered here last June, or the disappearance of Tiffany Sessions back in 1989, but Tip and his mother thinks they're all connected somehow.
3: They were all located within a two-mile area, found, murdered, or missing from the same area. And they're all about the same description, the same size. All of them are females except for
0: one. As an added layer of torture for the families of these victims, every time news broke that a body had been found in the area, or frankly the region, each family was left to wonder if it belonged to them. Was it their loved one or one of the others?
4: Coed found a shallow grave. Detectives were called in and the body of a white female was unearthed.
1: Our understanding is uh, the DNR officer uh, decided to check that track of land. It had not been checked yet. He decided to go check that particular property and, of course, uh, uh, located the grave.
0: When this news broke that a shallow grave had been discovered in the woods off of Williston Road in March of 92, Tiffany Sessions hadn't been seen for three years, Beth for two weeks and Judy for two months, leaving each of their families torn between hope and dread that this latest grave held their sister or their daughter. Tiffany Sessions' family told me they'd gotten a call from the sheriff's office that day telling them that this particular victim was not their girl. The sheriff's office had wanted them to hear it from the agency rather than the news. Judy's family heard about it on the news. Did they call you guys when they'd find a body? And I mean, was it like you hear somebody's been found? Did you think it would be Judy? Yeah. And I want
3: to say it was on the TV and it was in the news news. That's what we thought because it was right there by where she lived and everything.
0: Later that night, the sheriff's office called a press conference to announce they'd ID'd the remains and were ready to tell the public which of Gainesville's three missing women was no longer missing.
4: The body was transported
1: back to the medical examiner's office and through the use of dental records, the body has been positively identified as that of Elizabeth Helen Foster, age 21. At this time, we have no suspects in the case. We do not have a motive. And there appears to be no connection to any other criminal investigation that the Alaska County Sheriff's Office is conducting.
0: A big part of this story for me has been trying to figure out how Judy, her life, her case, this story were so easily discarded and forgotten. And in researching, I found a news report that I want you to hear. The audio isn't great, but I think you'll get the point. It's from right after Beth's grave was found in the woods off Williston Road, where the sheriff's office was guarding her grave site and where most of the media attention was focused. But instead of joining her peers that day, Glenna Milberg was about 10 minutes down the road reporting on a tiny search party of people still out there trying to find Judy and dissing the police for not being out there with them.
3: She's a mother of uh, four children under the age of six, and you're speaking to a mother too. And there's no way I'd leave my kids without contacting them like that.
2: This is a missing case, and you can pay just as much attention here as you could anywhere else.
3: But the search for McFarland is not getting headlines, nor the intensive probe that Elizabeth Foster's disappearance got. This amateur search party is going it alone, canvassing the woods behind McFarland's apartment calling the press and police daily for help. Everybody was
0: like, well, we're too busy right now. We can't
3: help you. They sent three people out today
2: to uh, tell her by basic rules not to, uh, if you see something that you think is suspicious, don't touch it.
3: As they go it alone, across town deputies guard the area where Elizabeth Foster's body was found Thursday. Police say she was nude,
0: some sign of a beating, but they're revealing little else.
4: we are not allowing anyone in or anyone
0: out. I think this must be when Judy's friends and family knew they were the only ones still looking for Judy. Were you as a family, were you personally, were you guys expecting her to come back?
3: That's hope in your heart that something bad didn't happen to her.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And yeah, we were hoping that she'd be calling or popping up. You know, she knew where we lived. Yeah. You know, no contact, no phone calls, nothing. So, so as time goes by, of course, you start losing hope.
0: Obviously, several months went by before you guys really even knew if she was dead or alive. When was the turn to thinking something bad must have happened?
3: To me, it was probably a couple of months after two months. And Shirley would break down crying and say, you know, I know something bad's happened to her. I know she's not coming back.
0: Did you have to tell them, Mary, since you had the kids, that their mom was missing? We only talked to the two oldest ones. What did you tell them?
3: Just that, that mommy went missing and, and nobody knows where mommy is
2: never thought though that she was dead. I don't know why, I, it, it, in my brain, I kept having dreams of where I'd wake up and she'd be at my door and I'd just cuss her out for disappearing.
0: <laughs> Elizabeth Foster was found in March of 1992 by an officer from the State Department of Natural Resources who was part of the daily searches for Beth just four months went by before the next body was found though this time nobody was looking for one on the next episode of shallow graves will be
4: left to forensic specialists a grisly discovery has quickly sparked speculation in this community could this be the body of missing u.s student tiffany sessions who disappeared across town three years ago police say that's unlikely the body is too fresh rather it could be the body of judy mcfarland disappeared in January, just nine blocks from the site.
0: In June of 92, a prisoner cutting grass for the Florida Department of Transportation had noticed what he thought was a doll or a mannequin in a small pond. The sheriff's office was called to come check out what was determined to be a body, partially floating in the water, but nobody could get to it because the body was in a retention pond, which was surrounded by a six foot chain link fence topped with barbed wire. There was a gate to access the pond, but it was locked, and only the Department of Transportation had a key.
2: My main question, and still I have it today, is how did she get in there? You
1: know, how did she get in there?
0: It sounds like everything you discovered along the way just makes it more mysterious. Exactly. Exactly. If you know anything about the murder of Judy McFarlane, please call the Alachua County Sheriff's Office. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or you can give me a call and leave a message about this season at 352-559-5717. Music for this season is once again by Mark at Line Out Studios, and all reporting, producing, and editing is by me, Haley Holloway.